Bibles this morning to Ephesians chapter 1. Remember, we are in a series on what it means to be, what our union with Christ means. So we're going to be hitting various uh, passages throughout Scripture that talk about this. This passage from first, the first chapter of Ephesians, the, the more I, I looked at this week, and, and especially this morning, it hit me. This is, this is a great passage of comfort. This is a great passage that reminds us what God is willing to do to save us, what God is willing to do to care for the likes of us in the midst of all that we go through and all that we have in our lives. This reminds us that... Uh, once, once we're His, we'll always be His. So if you're able, would you stand with me? And I'll read from the first chapter of Ephesians. Heavenly Father, come upon us today and open our eyes and our hearts and our minds to Your Word, uh, that Your Holy Spirit would descend upon us and give us understanding to this, uh, Lord, that these would not just be words on the page to us, but they would be living and holy and fill us conform our lives to the things that you call us to do. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. We'll really be dealing with just portions, some portions of it, but I'll read the verses 1 through 14 for us. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, to the saints who are at Ephesus and who are faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself, according to the kind intention of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, which he freely bestowed on us in the Beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood and the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace which he lavished upon us. In all wisdom and insight he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his kind intention which he purposed in him with a view to an administration suitable to the fullness of the time. That is the summing up of all things in Christ, things in heavens, and things on earth. In him also we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to his purpose, who works all things after the counsel of his will, to the end that we who are the first to hope in Christ should be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is given as a pledge of our own inheritance with a view to the redemption of God's own possession to the praise of His glory. This is God's inspired word for us today. So please be seated. Really the first, and I'm going to encourage you in your own time of devotions this week that you might want to take your pen um, for a highlighter or however you, you work things out as you, you study and read through all six chapters of Ephesians this week and underline all the things that we get in Christ. All the things that are ours through 
Christ, through Him, through the Beloved, uh, all those things, you will be shocked. Now, now, if you're against, you know, marking up a book, I know some people still don't, don't like to mark up books, but it, it, you'll just be shocked at how many times you find things underlined. Because this is what our Heavenly Father does for us in Christ. How many things that He gives to us and provides for us. And really, the entire book is, is, the theme of the entire book is laid out for us in the first verse. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to the saints who are at Ephesus, and who are faithful in Christ Jesus. In Christ Jesus. So let's look at these first couple verses that we're going to get into. Uh, before we do that, there's a, a story that's told of a little boy, and he built a model boat. Now, I built a model of the USS Missouri when I was young. You know, it was gray, and it was all plastic, and you know how those models were. You broke off the pieces, and you got your glue and the toothpick and put them all together, and there it was, the, the USS Missouri, the battleship. Well, this boy lived in a time when you built models with wood, and, you know, the USS Missouri never went into the bathtub, okay, because if it hit that water, I'm pretty sure They've seen its last day. Well, this was the type of model that you, you built and then you, you put on the pond. And it was a sailboat. And, and you had the sails and everything was quite inter, in, uh, in, uh, complex. Uh, <laughs> and, and, so, and then one day, through, through a variety of circumstances, whether it was his own negligence or somebody uh, came and took it, but his boat was gone. He lost it. And he was very sad and put all that time into it. So one day in a small town, he's walking by and he walks by the pawn shop. And there in the window is his sailboat. And his first inclination is to immediately run in there and say, hey, that's my boat. What are you doing with it? But there was already a price on it. It was in the window and it was pretty high price. So he kind of wrestled with that. But he said in his heart, I'm going to go home and I'm going to save my money. I'm going to come back and I'm going to buy my own boat back. So that's what he did. For a period of time, he worked and he saved everything that he could. And so he goes back and he, he walks to the pawn shop and the boat's still there and he buys it back from the pawn dealer. And as he walked out of the shop, he was heard to say, no boat, we all talk about boats, boats, you're mine and I made you and I bought you. Okay? And that's what Christ says to us. He says, you are mine. I have created you. All things are made by him and through him. So I've made you. I have bought you with a price, and you are mine. That's what Christ says to us. So it is in him that we have redemption. Look at verse 7 here as we dig into the first chapter. In him we have redemption, and how is that possible? It is through his blood. What happens because of that? The forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. So we do not have redemption in any other person. We do not have redemption in any other vehicle or means. Redemption is only found in Christ. It is exclusive of all others. There's only one way to salvation. Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one gets to the Father except through me. Redemption is found only in Christ. Now the concept of redemption throughout is, is clear throughout Scripture. If you know the Old Testament... Redemption is, is probably clearest seen in this, in this way that we understand it in the book of Hosea. When God says, you, you marry this girl, and she is unfaithful and runs off, and the Lord says, go down to the slave market and buy her back. 
And, and you know, if I'm Hosea, I'm saying, well, she's been unfaithful and she's just gone after all these things. No, go down and buy her back. He buys her back and returns her to his own house. This is the concept that the Lord has for those who wander off. He goes and redeems them. And we see the theme of redemption throughout the New Testament, uh, especially in Paul and how often he uses this term. Well, this term is not the ordinary term that Paul's using in Ephesians. It's not the ordinary term for redemption. We might see uh, redemption or ransoming. Okay, that is another way that this word is used. But this is, I would say, this is an intensive form. Okay, it's 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 that means it's it's more important that the emphasis is heightened as to what he is saying here. So the typical Greek word is utrosis, and, and that's not what he uses. He uses a different word, and then, I know this is your Greek lesson for the year, and then he puts on a, a, a preposition onto it. So it's not just ransoming, but it is a ransoming away from. A ransoming away from. So it's not just, I'm going to come and pull you out of here, and that's the end of it. I'm going to come, I'm going to pull you out of here, and then for the rest of eternity, you will be ransomed away from the sin that has bound you and the sin that has chained you. So the literal expression is a ransoming away from the things that bind us, especially and particularly here is that sin. A ransoming away from the chains of sin from our servitude to sin, which is our natural state that we're born into. And unless the Lord comes and ransoms us away from it, we will be forever caught in that. So it is in whom we have redemption, in whom we have this ransoming away, that is Christ, that is the beloved, because in Christ we have our redemption, in Christ we have our eternal security, in Christ we see demonstrated the extent of the Father's love for us. So there are five items that we're going to look at today and, and, and really, you know, you, we could spend weeks and weeks in this first chapter of Ephesians because it is so rich and it is really so comforting to us that the Lord would care for us this great, this, to this extent, that he would do these things for us. So of course we have to, I have to quote Spurgeon, Spurgeon said about this concept in particular, our union with Christ. He said, a thousand sermons would never exhaust the theme of the union of the church with Christ. No theology is sound which does not recognize this. No experience can be very profound which does not lead the soul more clearly and more fully to rejoice in this most glorious of God. Probably it is a doctrine more suitable to advanced Christians than to young believers. But where the Lord enables the heart to feed upon it, it will be found to be food at once nourishing, delicious, satisfying, and strengthening. They who feed upon it will be found like Daniel and his companions, to be fairer in countenance and fatter in flesh than most others. Fair in countenance and fatter in flesh. That's what we want. I mean, I got my own fatter flesh going on, but, but we're talking about these things here, spiritually speaking. When we feast upon concepts like our union with Christ, they are rich and they return a bountiful blessing to us. 
So number one, when we talk about our union with Christ, we have to understand that our union is in Christ. It is in his heart from all eternity. So we as believers are in the heart of Christ from all eternity. There has not been a time in all eternity when the mind of the Father and the mind of Christ did not know those who would be his. And you, you think to yourself, well, Ray, I, you know, I remember that day where I, I could profess faith in Christ, and, and, and that was not a surprise to our Heavenly Father. That was the day that he ordained you to believe upon Jesus Christ. Christ beheld his people, this is Spurgeon again, before they were yet formed. He looked forward through eternity and the rolling years of time, and he foresaw that God would make man, and that man and Adam would fall and be ruined. His eyes looked over all the sons of Adam and selected those whom he saw fit according to the counsel of his will, and these at once were put into his heart, his favorites forever and ever. Turn with me to Psalm 139. Some of you were thinking, well, we had a baptism, but Rangan didn't read from Psalm 139, which he usually does. Well, I was saved. Okay? And you might think, well, yeah, Rangan reads from Psalm 139 at every baptism. Yes. Okay? It's like we preach the resurrection at Easter. Every Easter, we preach the birth of Christ at Christmas. I mean, these things just all fit together. So one, Psalm 139 is so wonderful. It talks about how the Lord is, knows us, as he informs us in our mother's womb. Let me, I'll just read little bits and pieces of it as I go through. First one, O Lord, thou hast searched me and know me. Thou dost know when I sit down and when I rise up. Thou dost understand my thoughts from afar. Thou dost scrutinize my path and my lying down and art intimately acquainted with all my ways. Even before there is a word on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it. You have enclosed me behind and before it laid your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It's too high. I just can't grasp it. Where can I go from my spirit? Where can I flee from thy presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, behold, thou art there. If I take the wings of the dawn, if I dwell in the remotest parts of the sea, even there thy hand will lead me and thy right hand will lay hold of me. Verse 13, for thou didst form my inward parts. You wove me in my mother's womb, and I will give thanks to you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are thy works, and my soul knows it very well. My frame was on him for me when I was made in secret, and skillfully wrought in the depths of the earth. Thine eyes have seen my unformed substance, and in thy book they were all written, the days that were ordained for me, as yet there was not one of them. Yeah, I, I, I want you to understand, this, this deals with not just the Lord forming us in our mother's womb and knowing us at that time. This goes even before that, when there was not a day yet written in my life, the Lord had them all planned out. When we were not even in existence, we were in, physically, we were in the mind of Christ. We were in the mind of our Heavenly Father. And you think, well, that's a lot. Is it for everybody? Yes. That's a lot of people, right? Well, we're talking about God here. We're talking about God who does not have the limits that we are bound by. We're talking about a God who says, I know 
all of my children. I know who they are now, before the foundations of the earth. Go back to Ephesians chapter 1 and, and look at the very beginning of that. He chose us in him before the foundations of the world. Before he spoke the world into existence, the Lord had chosen us in Christ, in the beloved. Now, we weren't around physically, but we were in the mind of our Heavenly Father. So this is what he says. When Christ beheld his people before they were yet formed, they were his from all eternity. We are his from all eternity. It's not at the moment of the fall when the Lord says, oh, man. Uh, now that you've messed up, what am I going to do? I think I'll have to send my son to save you. No, that's not what happened. When there was the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, it was determined that this is what would happen. And the price for our salvation would be Christ so that we might be in Christ for all eternity. Our minds, our hearts are bound by time. We're people of the watch. How many of you don't wear a watch now? Just look at your phone, Okay. We're people of the phone, we're people of the calendar, we're people of the strata and the rocks so that we see where we've been and, and what we've done and then where we have to go and what time we have to be there. God is not bound by time. In fact, he created time for us. Time has no effect upon him. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That marks the physical beginning, the physical beginning. But there's an eternity before that. Where the Lord has been at work. And, and Spurgeon says, All these ages are but as the drop in a bucket compared with the deep and bottomless sea of the eternity of God. Yet when we fly back into the dread eternity where thought is lost and minds fail, we discover in the breast of Christ eternal thoughts of love toward his children. So I want you to understand, he, he is saying, and, and I'm convinced the scripture says, he don't just knew us. But he loved us. He loved us and knew he would give his life for us. To be one of the beloved in Christ. Who had, we've been in the heart of Christ from all eternity. Should set in our hearts this. I, I know this is such a large concept. But this should set in our hearts such joy and such confidence and such peace. When, when things look like they're going right down the tubes, but you think to yourself, yeah, but, but I've been in the heart of Christ, in the mind of Christ, and he has loved me from before the foundations of the world. Is he going to drop me now? Is he just going to pitch me out now? No. The answer is no. So number two. So we number one, we've been in the heart of Christ. Number two, we were chosen in him, elected by the Father. We were not chosen separately or distinctly as individuals. We were chosen in Christ. Yes, he chose Randy Jenkins. But that election comes in Christ. By Christ's love, we are now one with him. We are the body of Christ. We've got Christ as our head. We are the members of Christ's body. Again, from Psalm 139, your eyes saw my unformed parts and your book are written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when yet there was none of them. Before I was in existence, God knew what I'd be doing tomorrow. He doesn't make me do what I'm doing tomorrow, but somehow my free choice of what I'm going to do tomorrow fulfills his perfect will and sovereign purposes. 
We know that the Father ordained Mary, that she would have a son, and his name would be called Jesus, born in Bethlehem, Bethlehem, laid in a manger, the incarnate Word of God. So because of the union of Christ with the Father, Jesus says, if you see me, you've seen the Father. Because of his union with the Father, we are united with Christ. We are therefore united with the Father. We belong to him. God has written down long ago the names of those who are his in the Lamb's Book of Life. Remember, there are two books. There's the Book of Life and the Lamb's Book of Life. Once your name is in the Lamb's Book of Life, it's there for all eternity for all eternity. They are all secure because the first one is secure, and the first one is Christ, and we are united with him. So number three, not only are we in his heart from all eternity, not only are we elect by the Father, but we are in Christ's hands. We are in Christ's hands, which provides us confidence. I mean, what do I have to fear? Here I am in Christ's hands. Who can take me out of the hands of Christ? The answer is no one. What can separate me from the love of the Father that is in Jesus Christ? Paul makes it very clear in Romans 8. Nothing that has ever been created can do such a thing. Nothing. Christ is the great shepherd of the sheep. He's responsible for us. Remember, I am the great shepherd. I lay down my life for my sheep. My sheep hear my voice, and they follow me. And do we ever think, do you ever think that after such a high price is paid for us, that our Savior would ever turn his back on us? Would, would he ever go, whoops, I lost him. Okay? No, that, that never happens. Once we are in his hands, we are secure. Now, there are days when we're wandering, aren't there? We all know there are days where I, I'm, I'm not that close to Christ. I'm not out of his hands. There are days where my heart has wandered away from the Lord, but yet I'm in his hands because I belong to him. And he, if I get far enough away, yank me back. Now, I don't want to get far away from the Lord because he may use some drastic measures to get my attention. And I would rather him not have to do that. Not have to do that. Spurgeon again says, He has made us the choicest objects of his care. Shall his eyes ever sleep? Shall his heart ever forget? Shall his hands ever grow weary? He has sworn by himself that he will bring us safely to the Father. Will he ever be defeated? And the answer is, no. No. What does he say in the gospel? I give my sheep eternal life and they shall never perish. Neither shall any man pluck them out of my hands. Never. No man. Can you possibly read or think that those for whom Christ has died should never be in doubt that he would somehow forget them. The words of scripture are very clear. I give them eternal life. They shall never perish. Number four. We're united with Christ because we're members of his body. When the Holy Spirit comes upon us and convicts us of sin, we then look to Christ as the only means of our salvation. Remember this day, so many of us uh, now, some of us just simply grew up in the church. We've heard Christ all our lives. We don't remember a time when we didn't believe. Others of us, you know, remember that day explicitly. We can remember what happened that day. We remember what we had for lunch or dinner. We can remember when the, when the Lord went, bam, you're mine. I'm never letting you go. And life has changed forever. 
but no matter how close we were to Christ prior to that, no matter how many days we had spent in the pew, no matter how many Sundays we had been singing in the choir, no matter how many Sunday school pins we had, some of you don't know what I'm talking about, but, but you used to get Sunday school attendance pins, okay? And, and the long termers would come every Sunday and they have this long list of pins. And, you know, and I say this, he's not here, but Carl had on some pins last week. And he said, I just did it in case, you know, somebody might know. But it doesn't matter about that. Because if you weren't in Christ then, you were just doing external things. You were just doing external things. But now, at the moment your eyes are open, you are made new and new life is given to you. And we are changed forever and you become part of the body of Christ. Never to be outside the body of Christ. Now, prior to this moment, we go back a couple points. You, there was this mystical union with Christ because you were in his mind, but you didn't know that. And it has come to fruition at the moment where you have professed faith in Jesus Christ, and now it is an effectual union. It, you understand it. You have been changed. Your life is different, and now you're on the road and walking the path that Christ lays out for you. But the only place you can grow is in Christ. Remember? If you separate the branch from the tree, it gets no nutrients. The branch must be connected to the tree, to the root, to grow and to feed. And Spurgeon hammers this home one more time. I trust, brethren, that we are in union with Christ, not in theory, but in fact. Not as a matter of doctrine, but as a matter of experience. Till we can say, Christ is in me and I am in him. The life that I live in the flesh is no more but Christ who lives within me. Was it? Jesus loves me. This I know. Or the Bible tells me so. The Bible tells me so. Not only do I know it intellectually because of the promises of God's Word, but I know it because of the presence of the Holy Spirit. For when you are changed, the Holy Spirit comes and lives within you. It is a matter of intellect, it is a matter of your experience with the Lord. Number five. It is according to his riches. According to his riches. Now there's a difference between out of the riches and according to the riches. Let me illustrate this for you from uh, a Plymouth Brethren pastor from late 1800s, early 1900s. His name was Ironside. He, he wrote some commentaries, did, did a lot of preaching uh, throughout the world. He said, when I was a kid, the original Rockefeller was still living. And I can remember him as a man who was the head of Standard Oil. His companies, of course, had been divided, but he was one of the original wealthy men. Okay, when we're talking about real money, then. it was him and uh, Carnegie and Mellon and these great big barons that, that made gobs and gobs of money. And he had this habit, he's talking about uh, Rockefeller, he had this habit of giving out dimes to people. I guess it was a way of publicizing his name. But he was famous for walking around and giving dimes. And so whoever, wherever he went, he had a pocket full of dimes. And as he passed people, he would give them out. And Ironside says that is a giving out of his riches. Out of his riches. But it was not a giving according to his riches. Because 
That man had so much wealth, back when dollars were really dollars, to give according to his riches would have meant giving out $1,000 bills instead of dollars. You see the difference? There is an out of and there's an according to. And we get, Christ gives us according to the riches of his grace. And in, so he doesn't give us just dimes. He is giving us things that are more precious than gold. And he lavishes them upon us. He lavishes upon us in all wisdom and insight. Those things that are to us. Who have been in his mind from before the foundations of the earth. Who are in his hands and can never be taken away. Those are the riches that he gives to us. So let's pray. Lord, this is a great, great passage. And we have just, just scratched the surface so that we can get some idea of our union with Christ. What it means to be in Christ. To see the things that are promised to us. Salvation from long ago for those who are in Christ. We see later in the passage an inheritance that is guaranteed for us. Riches that are lavished upon us according to the grace of Christ. And your attention. Your full attention for we've never been out of your mind or out of the heart of Christ. And even before you formed our inward parts, we were loved. Even before you were knitting us together in our mother's womb, we were loved by you. Fix this in our hearts, Lord. Maybe for those who have come and had questions about what it means to be in Christ, what it means to believe, fix in their minds this great grace that you have, the great love that you have. And for those, Lord, who maybe were wrestling with, does, does God love me? I'm, I'm, I'm having a hard time with this. I seem to be falling away. That yeah, we might wander away, but we don't. We don't leave your hands. We don't leave your security in your care. And you will chase us down. And if necessary, like the land, you will break our leg and carry us until it is mended, until our hearts are fused with yours. We would never want again. Heavenly Father, fix these truths in our minds. I ask in Christ's name. Amen. We prepare for the Lord's Supper. Let's stand and we'll sing.